Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, Point of No Return. How's everybody doing? Good. Did you guys get enough sleep last night? Don't you wish they would just do away with time change? Wouldn't that be awesome? Man, I don't like it at all. So, I'm um, glad you're here. I want to encourage you to please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 today. The title of the message is Point of No Return. Okay, so the second half of the message is pretty heavy, and that's because this is where we are in the Bible. And if you're new to Calvary, we just go verse by verse by verse all the way through books of the Bible. And so we don't skip anything. We deal with it. And today, at least the second half of the, ser- of the sermon is going to be about the point of no return. Now, I want to encourage you to uh, put your, maybe your Easter invite card or something in John 12, because toward the end of the message, I will reference very briefly John chapter 12. So I want to make sure that um, you're ready to go when that happens. So Mark 3 and then John 12. Feel free to pull your Bible up on your smartphone if you don't have a Bible or grab one under the seat in front of you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dive into his word. And so, Holy Spirit, as we sang just a little while ago, you are welcome here. We're glad that when Jesus went up, you came down. And this is your church. And we acknowledge your presence with us. We thank you that you came to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that when we listen to your witness about who Jesus is, Messiah, Lord, Savior, when we turn from our sin and embrace Jesus by faith, we know that you come in and we're transferred from being under God's wrath to being part of the family of God. Thank you for the clear teachings of your word And thank you for who we are in Jesus Christ. Lord, we know we have an enemy, but we're not afraid. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So we look to you today, our Father, and we ask for your spirit to illuminate the scriptures so we can understand more about Jesus and become more like him. Bless this time together. We ask these things in your name. And all God's people said? All right. Well, in the Old Testament, the prophets, what did they do? They declared that at some point in the future, God was going to send a Messiah. And that Messiah was going to do at least two things. He was going to save Israel. And he was going to... Not only that, he's going to set up the actual physical kingdom of God on the earth. And so that's in the Old Testament. Then when you turn to the New Testament, guess what? The Messiah arrives. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story about how Jesus Christ, that's not his last name. It's Jesus Christos in the Greek, anointed one. Messiah, we get that word from the, from the Hebrew, he, he has come in the New Testament. Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, and I quote, he stood before Israel and he said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And so you need to know that when Jesus came, he offered the kingdom to Israel 2,000 years ago, and he authenticated his offer with these amazing miracles. And so the king came from heaven to earth, and when the king came 2,000 years ago, he came with kingdom power, 
and nobody had ever seen anything like it before. Nobody's ever seen anything like it since. Blind people saw, deaf people heard, mute people spoke, lame people walked, dead people actually got up and were raised from the dead with one word from Jesus Christ. Now, if Israel would have accepted Jesus as their Messiah, no doubt Jesus would have ushered in the kingdom 2,000 years ago. But Israel's leader said, no, we will not have this man to rule over us. And so what had happened? Jesus had offended these guys. He offended them with the truth. How many of you guys understand that sometimes this book offends people? And so when Jesus came on the scene and the religious leaders, they were always there following him, harassing him. He began to call them out for their hypocrisy. He began to call them out because even though they had an outward form of religion, they denied the power thereof. Even though they had an outward conformity to a legal list of man-made rules, their hearts were far from God. Not only that, but they were full of selfishness and greed, and they oppressed widows. Not only that, Jesus called them out because every time they did a good deed, they always did it with the motive of being seen by men. And so, you know, to tithe, that's an awesome thing to honor God and put him first place in our finances. But when they did it, they blew a trumpet. They wanted everybody to know, I'm giving to God. And Jesus called them out. For this hypocrisy, what was their response when Jesus called them out? Well, instead of repenting of their sin, Israel's leaders chose to reject Jesus. They rejected their own Messiah. And because of that, Jesus postponed the establishment of the physical kingdom on the earth. Because Israel rejected their Messiah... Jesus put the pause button on the Davidic kingdom, the promised kingdom. You remember how all the Old Testament prophets said, he's going to come, Messiah is going to come, he's going to save Israel, he's going to establish the kingdom. Because they rejected their Messiah, Jesus postponed the establishment of the physical kingdom, and he inaugurated the establishment of a new kind of kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, through the church made up of both Jews and Gentiles who submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the age we're in right now. We're in the church age. Someday when Jesus comes back, he's going to restart his program with Israel and then he'll establish the Davidic kingdom on the earth in a physical way. And so back to Israel's leaders, when they heard Jesus' amazing words, when they saw his amazing works, they should have repented. But instead of that, they rejected Jesus. Today in our passage, ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna see that, that their rejection goes to a whole new level. Okay, so today we're going to pick it up in verse 20. And so Mark chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Then Jesus went home. Jesus went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And so home for Jesus, we already learned this, was in the town of Capernaum situated up there on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so we'll look again at the map in the times of Jesus. This was Jesus' Galilean ministry. And so sometimes he would minister down in Judea, which is not shown on the map, but when he was up in Galilee, he made the headquarters for his Galilean ministry, the city of Capernaum, which is situated on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. You can't really see it, but it's the top left part of that body of water in green. Across the top of the water, you see the word Capernaum. Okay, so that's Jesus' home base. Now, where was he raised? You guys know this, right? In Nazareth, 35 to 40 miles down the road, southwest of Capernaum, There in big letters, bottom left part of your screen, you see Nazareth. Somebody says, why didn't he set up his home base for his ministry there? Because Jesus said a prophet is without honor except in his hometown. They didn't really like him in Nazareth, so he went up the road 40 miles, and he made Capernaum the base for his ministry. Now, we know at this time Jesus is really famous. People are coming from all over Israel, even the Gentile cities of Tyre and Sidon. They're coming by the thousands in order to hear Jesus preach. And 
uh, see him do these miracles. And so these crowds that were coming, they were so large and they were so needy. It says there at the end of verse 20 that they, Jesus and the disciples, could not even eat. These crowds were so big and they were so needy that the Lord couldn't even sit down and enjoy a meal. And so Peter's mother-in-law there, you know, she would make this dinner for Jesus and the 12 apostles. She'd say, hey guys, dinner's ready. But there's a problem. There's thousands of people all around Capernaum and there's Jesus and the apostles and he's, he's out there, he's doing miracles, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's ministering and the food's getting cold. And now, this is very interesting in verse 21. It says that when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. Jesus has gone crazy. We got to restrain him. We got to bring him home to Nazareth and put a stop to all this craziness. Who are Jesus' family? Well, we know his mother was Mary. And then we know that, of course, uh, from Matthew and Luke, the beginning chapters, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. You're going to be the mother of the Messiah. How is this going to happen? I've never known a man. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. It's the Christmas story, right? And so the Virgin Mary gave birth to the eternal word of God. Jesus Christ. Okay, and so after that virgin birth, you need to know that Joseph and Mary consummated the marriage and they had a bunch of kids. And so Jesus had a bunch of little half-brothers and half-sisters. His little half-brothers, the Bible names them, they were Joseph, they were Simon, it was Jude, and it was James. Okay, so all these guys came later, and then he had a bunch of half-sisters who the Bible does not name, um, uh, does not name them. Okay, have you ever thought whatever happened to Joseph, his stepfather? Well, almost all scholars are agreed that Joseph died before Jesus started his public ministry. The reason we know that is because at the wedding of Cana, you guys remember Jesus' first miracle when he turned water into wine? It says Mary's there, but Joseph is not mentioned. Not only that, in a little while, we're going to get down to verse 31, and Mary and the brothers are coming up from Nazareth to Capernaum, but, but Joseph is not there. Not only that, when Jesus is going to hang on the cross at the end of the gospel, he's going to look down on John and Mary, and he's going to say, John, behold your mother, mom, behold your son. And John will take her into his home from that day forward. Why? Because Joseph has passed away. Now, what was the spiritual condition of Jesus' family? This blows my mind. But it says in John 7, 5, that not even his brothers believed in him. And so James and Joseph and Simon and Jude, at this point, they don't even believe their big brother's the Messiah. And not only that, we just read it in Mark 3, 21, it says that his family members were saying, He's out of his mind. Now, let me just say this on a personal note. I do not believe that Mary did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. It says his brothers didn't believe it. All right, Mary knew 30 years prior to this story, thereabouts, uh, she, she, she knows she uh, never had sex with a man and she gave birth to Jesus. Okay, so if anybody in Israel believes that Jesus is the Messiah, Mary believes. Okay, and so I personally do not feel that Mary thought Jesus had gone crazy. I do think, though, that Mary is concerned about her son. I do believe um, that, that, that she's thinking, you know, um, is he okay? Is he doing all right? Now, did his brothers believe that Jesus was crazy? Absolutely. And so what did they do? They heard Jesus is back in Galilee. He's up there in Capernaum. So they packed their bags. Hey, come on, Mom. And they took the 35 to 40 mile trip from Nazareth up to Capernaum. Why? Because they wanted to try to talk some sense into Jesus. They wanted to literally restrain him and bring him back to Nazareth and put a stop to his ministry. 
Now, I don't know what the guys talked about, um, Jesus' four little half-brothers as they were walking up uh, to Capernaum. Maybe it was something like this. What's happened to our brother? You know, ever since he started this ministry, we don't even see him anymore. I think he's gone off, the, uh, off, off his rocker or something. His, you know, dad gave him this amazing carpentry business, and what does he do? He walks away from it to become a traveling preacher. Who does that? And who are these 12 guys that are following him around? What a joke. And not only that, he's offending our leaders, Israel's leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus has made them really mad. And he doesn't even seem to care. He's going to get in some, some big trouble if he's not more careful with his words. And I can see the four guys walking up to Capernaum and seeing the massive crowd. And they're probably saying, look at this. This is nuts. We're under Roman bondage. What if Roman, Rome thinks this is some kind of insurrection against the Roman Empire? We're his brothers. They could take our heads off. Okay, and so they're having some kind of conversation, thinking he's crazy, not believing he's the Messiah, as they're on their way up from Nazareth to Capernaum. And Mary, I don't think she was getting into that conversation, but I do believe when Mary saw these big crowds, she's probably thinking, is my boy okay? Is he getting enough to eat? You know, is he sleeping enough? And so do you guys have the, the picture in your mind? We're in Capernaum. There's thousands of people surrounding Jesus. His family members are on their way up from Nazareth to Capernaum. And not only that, um, Matthew jumps in here and tells us at this point, Jesus does a stunning miracle. Mark doesn't include it, but we know that it, this miracle happens right now in our story. Okay, what miracle? Check it out on your screen. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, was brought to him. And he healed him. So that the man spoke and saw. And all the people, that big crowd in Capernaum, were amazed and they said, can this be the who? The son of David. What's another name for the son of David? Messiah. Could this be the Messiah? Look at this. This guy was, was demon-possessed. He was blind, and he couldn't speak. And Jesus walks up with one word. The demon's gone. He can see, and he can talk. We've never seen anything like this before. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we've never seen anything like this since then. Why? Because the king came with kingdom power. But now enter the story, the party poopers, the Pharisees. They hate Jesus. They don't want anybody to believe that he's the Messiah. And so now's the time they've got to publicly discredit Jesus in the eyes of the crowd, and they go straight for the jugular. Look at verse 22 now. This is as low as you can go right here. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, they've been saying this for a while, he is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons. He casts out demons. Wow. That's pretty low. And so here they come, no doubt sent from the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. And they're coming up to Capernaum with their fancy robes, thinking they're all that. They're smug looks. And they see that people are starting to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and they got to quench this ASAP. And so what do they do? Jesus, don't believe in Jesus. He's filled with Beelzebul. Don't believe in these miracles. The only way he does these miracles is by the power of the prince of demons. Now, very interesting, when you look at the word Beelzebub, what does it mean? It means the Lord of the house. Okay, and so B-E-E-L is from Baal or Baal, you remember the Old Testament Canaanite God? Okay, and so the Lord, ba Baal means Lord, Zebub means house or temple or high place. Okay, and so Beelzebub means the Lord of the temple or the Lord of the high place. 
Beelzebub was the god of the city of Ekron. You guys remember in the Old Testament, um, um, in Samuel, um, there's these five city-states of the Philistines. Do you guys remember the Philistines, the ancient enemies of Israel? And they've got these five city-states, and one of them is Ekron. And so Beelzebub was the ancient Philistine god of the city of Ekron. But very interesting, as I was studying, John MacArthur said that over time, when you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the very reverent Jews, they began to mock the name Beelzebub, and they changed the last letter from B to L. And so what did they do? They changed the name, the meaning of the name, from the Lord of the high place to the Lord of the dunghill. The reverent Jews began to mock the name of this false god, and they said, he's not the god of the high place. He's the god of poop. <laughs> and not only that, some went even further with their ridicule and said, no, 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 not just the poop. He's the god of the flies that fly around the poop. He's the lord of the flies. That's what it means, Beelzebul. Now, you know what's shocking? This is what they called Jesus. This is as low as it goes. This is how much the, these guys hated Jesus and wanted to publicly discredit him. And the question is, why? Why in the world would they say something so low, so nasty against our Lord? Here's why. They were jealous of him. The crowds were leaving them and going to Jesus. Jesus was the rising star of Israel, and they absolutely despised this miracle worker from Galilee of all places. And by the way, they could not deny his miracles. A demon-possessed guy just got healed, and now he can see before he was blind. Now he can see before he was mute. Now he can speak. They can't deny that. Nobody could deny Jesus' miracles. Do you remember what I said? When the king came, he came with kingdom power. He authenticated his offer of the kingdom with mighty miracles. And so everybody knew Jesus' miracles. This is not some magic show. You don't use magic to make a blind person see. This is supernatural. And so the Pharisees knew there's only one thing we can do. We have to attribute his miracles to the power of Satan. And they said, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. Now, how in the world does the Lord respond to this low blow? Okay, look at verse 23. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Okay, Jesus knew these are well-educated men, scholars from Judea. So what does he do? He appeals to their intellect. He says, guys, come on over here. Let's reason together. How can Satan fight against himself? Right? It's, it's kind of like punching yourself in the face. Who does that? A house divided against itself cannot stand. Now, we as Americans, we know this is true, right? I mean, what just happened a little over 150 years ago in our history, we almost lost our entire nation. It's called the Civil War. Brother fought against brother just a little over 150 years ago, and our house in America became divided. It's very interesting. Um, I looked it up, and PBS tells us that during the Civil War, which lasted four years from 1861 to 1865, there was a lot of people who died. I want to quote PBS. Now, this is not the number of the total number of people who died in the Civil War. This is just men in uniform, military personnel. He, they said, quote, nearly 500,000 military personnel died during the U.S. Civil War. That's almost half of all Americans who have ever died during wartime. You know what that means? 
That means you think about all the wars and conflicts that America has ever been involved in since we became a nation, and you list all of those wars and all of those conflicts and the number of military personnel who died, and then you take the Civil War and you find out how many military personnel died, and the number is almost the same. Civil War is just a little bit less. And so we as Americans, we know that a house divided cannot stand. Why? Because for four years in our history, brother fought against brother, north against south, from battlefields from Vermont all the way down to Florida, and the bloodshed was, was unthinkable. Now, Lincoln, who by far is my favorite president, three years before the Civil War, he saw it coming, and in 1858, this is what he said. He quoted Jesus. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. In other words, our nation is going to be completely pro-slave, north and south. We're going to do something about this, and we're going to fight, and we're going to eventually become anti-slave, north and south. And ladies and gentlemen, if it wasn't for the resolve of our 16th president, the United States of America would have become the divided states of America. Don't you know that there was countries ready to jump on the situation and attack if we would have blown up? If it wasn't for the resolve of Abraham Lincoln, our house would have fallen but Lincoln stayed the course, and thank God, eventually, the depraved institution of slavery was abolished north and south. And by the way, we still have a long way to go in our race relations in this country. And a house divided cannot stand. And so we know that as Americans. But Israel's leaders, they didn't know that. And they're trying to say that, that Jesus is aligned with Satan, and he's casting out demons with the power of Satan. And so what does Jesus do? He knows they're well-educated, and so he, he tries to reason with these guys. Hey, if a miracle's not enough, a supernatural miracle before your eyes, let me, let me go to your level. How many of you guys understand that Jesus was omniscient? <laughs> he could go to their level. He actually came down to their level and try to reason with these guys to show them that he was not aligned with Satan. Okay, and, and look at what he says in verse 27. This is so cool. He says, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed, he may plunder his house. Now, if you don't understand what that verse means, let me help you. Who was the strong man? If you're taking notes, the strong man is Satan. And so Jesus is trying to tell these religious leaders that are rejecting him as their Messiah, he's trying to say, guys, I'm not aligned with Satan. I'm opposed to Satan. In fact, I've gone to Satan's house, I've kicked down the door, I've tied him up, and I'm setting people free. I want you to imagine, um, imagine it like this. Imagine you got a teenage girl, she's walking home from school all by herself, and some dude pulls up in an unmarked van, gets out, grabs her, throws her in the back of the van. Then he takes her to his house. He ties her up, waiting for the right moment to do God knows what. But then I want you to imagine that this teenage girl has a big brother. And he's got muscles on top of muscles. He's a fifth degree black belt. And somehow he finds out where his little sister is. You guys, can you see that in your mind? And so he goes up to the house. He doesn't knock. He kicks the door down. He does the, ah, whatever you do, uh, to the evil abductor, beats him down, ties him up, goes in the back room, unties his little sister. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Did they? No, I'm fine. And victoriously takes her home. That's a good way to describe verse 27. Who's the strong man? Jesus. 
What does that mean? That means that Satan may be strong, but Jesus is stronger. So much stronger. You don't have anything to be afraid of. Don't be afraid of the devil. He's a created being. Jesus is the creator. Satan, Lucifer, is just a created being. Jesus is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, eternal, and sovereign. Lucifer can just be at one place at one time. He has limited power. Now, he's strong. He's no match for any of us here. That's why we have to stay close to our big brother. And as long as we stay close to our big brother, he's not going to come around and hassle us so much because he knows what's, what's in for him. And so, you know what really discourages me, discourages me, church family, is that our culture has zero understanding of the gospel. And so when bad things happen in society, what's the first thing you see on Facebook or on TV? God. Where's God? If there was a God, why is there so many bad things happening? And they don't even understand the basics of the gospel. Do you want to hear the basics of the gospel? What does the word gospel mean? It means good news. But before you, have, before you can understand the good news, you got to go back and explain the bad news. Okay, and so God created a perfect world, the Garden of Eden. God created a perfect man and a perfect woman. What happened was that the slithering serpent came and deceived the, man, the, the, the woman. She ate the, the, the forbidden fruit, and then the man, he knew better. He willfully disobeyed his creator, and that was it. Everything fell. Creation, which was perfect. God made it perfect. God didn't make it like it is now. But after man free, freely chose to disobey the Lord, what was perfect fell and became cursed. And not only did the creation um, fall, nature fall, but man and the woman, they also fell. And they died spiritually inside. And they began to die physically inside. And so you need to know that when that happened, Adam gave away his dominion. Please hear this this morning. Adam was given from God a dominion and authority over the earth. But when he willfully disobeyed his creator, he gave his dominion and authority to the strong man. And this world, as much as we don't want to admit it, this world is Satan's house right now. This is his domain. The world has been taken captive by Satan and his angels. Look at what John says in 1 John 5, 19. Talking to born-again believers, he says, we know that we're from God, and how much of the world? The whole world lies in the power of the wicked one. This is Satan's house. Not only that, Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said that the God of this world has blinded the minds of who? Unbelievers. Most of the world's made up of unbelievers. And so the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Okay, so you, before you understand the good news, you gotta understand the bad news. And that's the bad news. But here's the good news. Even though the whole world lies right now in the lap of the wicked one, and even though the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, you need to know that God so loved the world, he sent his son. And the big brother entered Satan's domain, came to Satan's house, and he kicked down the door, and he came to seek and to save those who are lost. Ladies and gentlemen, the answer is not bigger government. The answer is not more education. The answer is not let's all just try to get along together and hold hands and walk off into the sunset together singing Kumbaya. That'll never work. The answer always has been, is now, and always will be Jesus Christ, period. He's the answer. He's the answer. But here's the problem.
Even though this book is in the homes of most Americans, it stays closed on somebody's shelf. And so the whole country walks in darkness. All we got to do is grab the book, blow the dust off, open it up, and receive light from God. And then we'd understand the gospel. And then we turn to Jesus. And then he would set us free. He's the answer. Look at what Paul wrote to the Colossians. Look at this good news. He says, you were dead because of your sins, but then God made you alive. Say alive. alive. See, some of you out there can't say that word because you're religious. You're like the Pharisees. You have an outward conformity to a list of man-made rules. You're trying to work your way to heaven. You don't even understand the gospel of grace. That it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It has nothing, Zippo, to do with us and everything to do with Jesus. And so you were dead, but God made you alive with Christ because he forgave how many of our sins? All our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by boom, 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 nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed. Say disarmed. disarmed. This is what you need to know, born-again Christian, about your enemy, the Satan. He's been disarmed. Don't be afraid of the devil. Don't be afraid of his fallen angels. He, in this way, he is disarmed. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them. Who did? Jesus. Shamed them by public, uh, he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What does that mean? Once again, here's what it means. Big brother came. He kicked down the door of Satan's house. He tied up the strong man, and he went in the room, and he said, do you want to be free? And some of us said, yes. You're my only hope. And he untied us, and he hugged us. He forgave all of our sins, and he became the answer. Have you come to Christ? Have you given your life to Jesus? Do you understand that he is the answer? Now, here's what you need to know. When it comes to believers, please say the word believers. believers. When it comes to believers, Satan has been bound. Okay, so you got to get that. When it comes to believers, not unbelievers, they're fair game for the roaring lion. And that should be motivation for some of you right now who've never given your life to Christ. You're fair game for a roaring lion and you're no match for that roaring lion. But when it comes to believers, you need to know that Satan has been bound. And so right now I want you to picture Satan over here and he's in a chair and he's all bound up. Who tied him up? The strong man tied him up. And so you don't have to be afraid, and I don't have to be afraid. But how many of you guys understand that even though Satan, the strong man, has been tied up, he still has a big mouth? Are you with me this morning? Even though he's tied up, he still has a really big mouth. He's called the accuser of the brethren. And so what does he do to us as born-again Christians? He's sitting over there. He's been tied up. And what happens is, you know, none of us are perfect, so we sin. And when we sin, what happens? We start hearing the voice. And he's yelling, you did it again. And you call yourself a Christian. You're worthless. God is so done with you. Right? And we hear this shouting. We hear this condemnation inside of us. And because we don't really know the word and we don't know who we are in Christ, we cave under the lies of the enemy. And what, needs, what you got to understand is that he can yell all he wants, but he doesn't have any power over you. Don't you understand that, that Satan had to go get permission from God before he could ever touch Job? And so he's tied up. He has no power over you. So when you hear his condemnation, what you need to do is you need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You need to say to yourself, no, devil, I'm not going to listen to your voice of condemnation. 
If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Father has loved me with an everlasting love. The Son has paid for all my sins, past, present, and future. The Spirit of God lives inside of me, and God said, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And when we do that, his voice stops. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Can we say that together? Let me coach you up one more time before you say anything. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Go ahead. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's a promise from God's word. But if you've never given your life to Jesus, that promise is not for you. Come to Jesus. Now in verses 28 through 30, Jesus shares some sobering words with these unbelieving religious leaders. Okay, and so we don't take verses out of context and teach whatever we want. Please understand the context is these are Christ rejectors. Verse 28, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Okay, and so I want you to get the picture here. There's lots of controversy between good Bible-believing scholars about, you know, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What is the unpardonable sin? Can it still be committed today? There's guys I respect that think you can't commit it today. I disagree, and here's why. First of all, Jesus, let's get the context, was being accused of being full of Satan. The religious leaders, the Christ rejectors, said you're possessed by Satan, you do miracles in the power of Satan, and thus they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus actually, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he did miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. So they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit by saying you do this with an unclean spirit. And I want you to notice too, they were saying it. Okay, look, look back up at verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, what's the next two words? Do you see that? Everybody look at verse 22. I want to make sure we're all together. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, what's the next two words? Were saying. Do you see that? So they had been saying this for a while. They were saying he is possessed by Beelzebul. And and now, now jump down to verse 30. For they, what's the next two words? Were saying. You see, they kept saying this. He has an unclean spirit. And so by continuing to say this, what were they doing? They were showing the true condition of their hearts. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay? And so what's happening here is that they were revealing their heart condition. What was their heart condition? That the Holy Spirit was witnessing to them, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, Jesus is your Messiah. And they're saying, no, no, no. And they continued to say, he's filled with the devil. He does miracles in the power of the devil. What did they do? They committed the unpardonable sin. They passed the point of no return. This was it for these guys. They were alive, but they were dead inside. And Jesus said, you cannot follow me where I'm going. And so when they died, like the rich man in Luke 16, in hell, they opened up their eyes, being in torments. Now, can people commit the same sin today? Let me show you what David Guzik says. He says, when we persistently reject the work of the Holy Spirit, what he wants to do in us, and when we have a continued, settled rejection of what he wants to tell us about Jesus, 
then we blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Now, this is exactly what the religious leaders did. They persistently rejected the work of the Spirit. They had a continued, settled rejection of what the Spirit wanted to tell them about Jesus. Look at what H.A. Ironside said. H.A. Ironside, um, in his commentary, said, these words stand out as a blazing beacon warning of the danger of persisting in the rejection of the Spirit's testimony of Christ until the seared conscience no longer responds to the gospel message. Okay, so this is how it, this is how it works. How many of you guys believe that God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance? It's in the book. You should raise your hand. God loves the whole world. He wants to save everybody. So what does he do? Jesus went up, the Spirit came down, and the Spirit came to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You cannot get saved till you realize you're lost. And so the Holy Spirit is witnessing. Jesus is the only way. He paid for your sins. He's Lord. He's your only hope. Turn to Jesus. And what happens is people say no. No, no, no. And at some point, only known to God, we don't know this. By the way, we keep sharing the gospel till they take their last breath, because we don't know. But only known to God, at some point, if somebody keeps saying no, they will cross the point of no return. And it's a scary thing. What does it look like? I had you mark John 12 real quick. Turn over to John chapter 12. I'm going to show you what it looks like. John 12, starting in verse 37. So in John 12, verse 37, Jesus is there. He's with the people. And it says, though he had done so many signs before them, they still, everybody say still. still. See how they're persisting in their unbelief? They still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. See, God saw it all before it happened. Isaiah 53, Lord, who has believed what we heard, what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now look at verse 39. Here's where it gets real sobering. And so they're still not believing. Jesus is showing them miracles. The Spirit's witnessing to them. And in verse 39, therefore they, what's the next three words? Whoa, they passed the point of no return. You see it? Can this sin still be committed today? Yep. They could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. I remember a while back, a long time ago, I was witnessing to a man sharing the gospel of Jesus with him. He was an unbeliever. I think he heard it before. He was very well educated. And here I am, I'm sharing the bad news and then the good news. I come to the end, I say, would you like to receive Jesus? He said, no. I was like, I'm like, you know, really? <laughs> Do you know what's at stake? He said something like this. He said, look, I know, look me right in the eye. I know that if I'm wrong, I'm gonna have to pay the consequences. Wasn't very long after that, he had to go in and have open heart surgery and on the table he died. He was unmoved at the gospel presentation. He probably heard it before over and over. And that's why the Bible says in Hebrews 3.15, today, say today. today. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Because God doesn't have to keep speaking. God doesn't have to keep wooing. God doesn't have to keep drawing. What else can God do? He sent his son. His son paid for the sins of the whole world. His spirit's trying to witness to us and save us, but people still harden their hearts and say no. 
And so we're going to wrap it up today by returning to Jesus' family. Go back to Mark 3, and we'll read the last verses here, 31 through 35. It says in Mark 3, verse 31, and his mother, that's Mary, and his brothers, so that's James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude, they came, so they came from Nazareth to Capernaum, and they're standing outside. Okay, so Jesus is in the house. There's lots of people. He's preaching, teaching. The family, Jesus' family, can't get inside. And so they sent to him and called him. Verse 32, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, you know, Jesus, <laughs> they interrupt a Bible study, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And everybody thought Jesus is going to close the Bible study and go out and talk to mom and to his little brothers. Instead of that, Jesus kept right on preaching. He says in verse 33, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at, about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. People say, Jesus is being rude. No, he's not. He knew his brothers outside did not believe in him. He knew they thought he was crazy. He knew they wanted to restrain him, take him home to Nazareth, Stop his ministry. So what did he do? He ignored his physical family. Some of you need to do that. Some of you have biological brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, or even children, and they think you're crazy because you've decided to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You've decided to put Jesus number one in your life, and they're giving you a hassle. Here's what you need to do. You need to ignore what they say. Jesus ignored his physical family and he encouraged his spiritual family. He said, who are my mother and my brother, my brothers? Right here, these people who love me and love God and wanna do the will of God. What you need to know, ladies and gentlemen, that sometimes the closest relationships you will ever have are not with your biological family. They are with your spiritual family, and we will spend forever with one another in heaven. But some of you are afraid. You're afraid to speak up, to let people know where you stand. Today's a day where you need to decide, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My mom may reject it. My dad may reject it. My brothers may think I'm crazy. My kids may think I've gone off the rocker, but I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna love them. I'm gonna minister to them. I'm gonna serve them. But when they try to restrain me and stop me, I'm gonna say, no thank you, I'm with the Lord. That's what we do as followers of Jesus Christ. Others of you are here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. What are you waiting for? He's here with his arms wide open by his spirit and he's saying, come to me. And today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. He doesn't have to keep speaking. He doesn't have to keep drawing. And so maybe today's the day of salvation for some. Maybe today's the day you're far from God where you turn around the best way you know how from your sin and you're going to Jesus as your only hope. He loves you. He wants you to be his follower. So if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ or you're here today and you're far from God, even though you gave your life to Christ a long time ago, you're far from God and you know you're far from God. Today's the day to hear his voice and to come back into union with Jesus. Today's the day where you believe not the bad news of the gospel of works. Oh, if I just try harder, he'll accept me. No. Today's the day where you believe the good news of the gospel of grace, that salvation is by faith grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Will you come to Jesus?
And so maybe today's the day where you just say, I'm not ashamed, I'm not embarrassed, I'm gonna come to Jesus. And so if that's you, I'm gonna do something different. I'm just gonna open up this front platform and you come. Don't be afraid, don't be embarrassed. You know you need to come to Jesus or come back to Jesus. Just slip out of your seat and come. You may be in the middle of a row and there may be people on both sides and you can't get out. Just say, excuse me, please, and come. Just come on down. The altar's open. Just come on down. Come to Jesus today. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I, I thank you for your courage. This is great. And I, I know there's more out there. And so don't hesitate. Just come to the Lord because of his love. Let his love and his grace motivate you. Just say, excuse me. People would love to move and come on forward. I'm not going to prolong it too long. I'm just going to wait here for just a couple more seconds here and see if there's anyone else that wants to respond today. People be praying because there's two voices going off in people's heads right now. Pray that they listen to the right voice. Well, for you who came, I admire your courage. I'm so glad that you decided to give your life to Christ. And so if you guys could look at me, here's what we're gonna do. First thing I wanna do is I wanna make sure you understand what you're doing, okay? And so this has nothing to do with you being a better person or trying harder. You guys get that, right? It's nothing to do with, you know, if I do enough good works, then God will accept me. We, none of us are worthy. But Jesus came and he lived the life that we could not live. Perfect. He did, he did that for you. And then he went to a cross and he died the death that we should have died. We should have been we should have got death for our sins. That's what the Bible says. But he came and he paid that price. And then he rose again three days later, showing the whole world, I'm legit. And so what you're doing here is you're, you're coming to Christ in faith. You're asking him to be your savior, to forgive all your sins, and to be the Lord of your life, the boss of your life. And the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. It's a promise from God. And so if you're ready, the best way you know how to turn from your sins and turn to Jesus, I'll lead you in a prayer. And you can just repeat um, after me. But remember, you're not reciting a poem. You're, you're talking to the Lord, right? And so just say this. Uh, from your heart to his out loud. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry for my sins. I know the penalty of sin is death. But I believe you died for me and paid for my sins. Thank you. I believe you rose from the dead and you're seated at the right hand of the Father. And so today I turn from my sins and I turn to you, Jesus. Please forgive all my sins. Be my Savior and the Lord of my life. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Now here's the good news. Jesus said that if you'll confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. And so what is your name? Marina. Marina. Jesus just said your names to the Father in heaven. And you're secure in his hand forever. You're secure in his hands forever. It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. Can we all stand to our feet?
And so Pastor Bob and his team, can you guys come and give um, the resources to these people? Uh, one more time, can we just encourage them for their uh, boldness today to come? Awesome. So happy for you. So prayer partners are coming forward. If you need prayer for anything, uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, we're going to hang out. We're going to do ministry. Just come forward. Let the prayer partners know, and we'll pray with you. Um, and then also, um, uh, if, you're, if you're visiting, make sure you stop at the Next Steps area. Get your free gift on your way out. And if you want to lead a group, see Pastor Jacob. So I'm going to close in prayer, and you'll be dismissed. So Father, thank you for what you're doing here among us. Thank you, Lord, for these five who are now your children, simply because of your grace and love and Jesus' blood. And so we give you praise and honor and glory. We pray, God, for all this congregation that to this week we would all accurately represent you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm new here, then knowing Christ.